So this morning, the title of our message is In Spite Of. In Spite Of. And we're going to turn to? Oh, bless you. Let's turn there, please. If you don't have a Bible, please speak to us if you don't have one. We would love to. If you're not able to get a hold of one yourself, please talk to us so that we can help you. And if you do have a Bible and you don't want to bring it, then get it onto your cell phone because all of you have cell phones. Uh-huh. Get the app onto your cell phone that you can follow us. And it's so good to follow it that you don't just take what we ever, whatever we say for granted, but see for yourself that in Exodus it says the following. So we're going to look at, um, at that this morning as we go to verse 1 in chapter 1. How's that? There's no better place to start at? One, thank you very much for that. Um, so let's go there. Verse 1 refers to two names, um, but it is the same person. It says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. The sons of Israel refer to the same people, the sons of Jacob. All right? Now, why Israel and Jacob? How many of you know? Where does Israel come from? comes from Jacob. And Jacob was given this name. In Genesis 32, we see this beautiful portion where, where, where God says to Jacob, I'll give you a new name, which is Israel, which really means that he wrestled with God at that time. And you read about the story in Genesis 32. But anyway, from here on, we will not read about the sons of Jacob anymore. Because they became not only the sons of Israel, but they actually became the people of Israel. All right, so take note of these things. I mean, it's just in the first verse. We can like spend so much time almost. It says, these are the names of the sons of Israel. We came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. And it again gives you the name. You will find later on, let's read to, for instance, in verse 7. It says, but the people of Israel. Note that. And verse 9, it says, behold. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel. Verse 12, we see the same thing. But the, um, they were so oppressed and whatever, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So we see that in the midst of this time that they're in, during their, their visit in Egypt, they changed from being the people of Jacob or the sons of Jacob that arrived there. And you know the story. If you don't, please go and read Genesis um, the whole book, actually, it's also good background for you to read through in terms of uh, going through Exodus. But in Genesis, we see how the people or the sons of Jacob moved to Egypt because of the famine. And Joseph, their one son, had already moved there and he became the prime minister. And he, and he opened up the way for them to come into the land. And, and so they came and came in as the sons of Jacob. All 11 other sons with their households moved into this land called Egypt. And in this land, they became the people of God, the people that God had made a covenant with. And so in this land, they found a new identity. They became the nation that God intended them to be. They became the people of Israel. They had found a new identity in a foreign land and in very harsh conditions. They became what God intended for them to be through what they experienced. They became the people of God. 
the people of Israel. They arrived as the sons of God. And when they eventually left, they left not only as a people of Israel, but they actually left as a people of God. So something happened, and, and historians tell us that this was 400 years that they spent, and the Bible also says that. They spent 400 years from, become, from arriving as the sons of Jacob and leaving as the people of God, people of Israel. And so I want to just say to you, God is always interested in forming us into what He wants us to be. And even if it takes 400 years <laughs> for the nation of Israel to become the people of God that had a history then to follow, to eventually out of them, the Son of God would be born. Jesus would come from that nation. So God had this plan. He said, oh yeah, I know that a famine will come and I will preordain it so that they will move to Egypt. And during that 400 years, I'm going to form them into what I want them to be. And again, as we said last week, whatever happens in Exodus points us towards the New Testament. The fulfillment is found in the New Testament that people were taken out of to become what God wanted them to be. Let me take you to two points of uh, portions of Scripture in the New Testament. You find in, Eph in Ephesians, let me just read it too quickly. I'm, we're not gonna, geez, this is such beautiful stuff to preach about, actually. But Ephesians chapter 1. It says the following, in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father, help me think with the lenses of out of into, purpose of God. God takes us from here to make us into something new, all right? Help me think like that. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So before the foundation of the world, God chose us to be this, to form us into what He wants us to be, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. So God predestined us. He formed us before the foundation of the world to be His. And even for Israel, it was, listen, before you arrived in Egypt, this was my plan for you. I'm going to take you through this to give you a new identity. You will not be only known as the sons of Jacob anymore. I'm going to form you into a nation. You're going to become mine. You will be known as my people. Boy, there's, there's so much that we can discover about that, that they had been promised to become His people. And so whatever you're going through, you've got to understand that we are all in this process of becoming more like Him. You don't have to physically move from one location to the other to do that, by the way. But you've got to understand that we're on a process of becoming more like Him. And there are things that God would put in your way and around you and amongst you to help you to become more like Him. So now is the time when you want to say to your neighbor, thank you for being there to help me become more like Jesus. And some of them are doing a pretty good job with that, isn't it? Eh? You don't have to say amen to that because it may be your husband sitting next to you and he's the one that God is really using to help you form, to become more like what God wants you to be. Huh? Anyway, and so this is, 
what God would do. In Romans 8, it's also up there. It reads as follows. Let me quickly read it to you. Romans 8 talks about this thing that God has predestined us for something. It says in verse 29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God is saying, listen, Paul writing here, God predestined you to to it to be conformed to the image of His Son. So we're all in a process. We're all in the school of the Spirit. We all have enrolled. When we said yes to Jesus, you've said that, yes to that. So when you feel uncomfortable and you feel like this is too much, or I don't know why I need to be stretched like this, why I need to grow, why I need to develop, this is part of God's plan. You want to complain to someone? Go to God. And He would listen you out and say, well, it's part of my plan, my son, my daughter. Let's move along. And His loving heart is extended towards us to help us. He's incredibly kind, but He's also very, very focused on what you and I need to become. And none of us have arrived. Some of you think you have. But unfortunately, I want to just blow your bubble this morning, burst it. Because none of us have arrived yet. You're still in process. You're still a work in process. And, and until Jesus comes to fetch us and and, and we celebrate being with Him, there's going to be a work in progress. We're in this wonderful process to progress into becoming more like Him. So won't you embrace the process and not find the one who's in control, fight the one who's in control of it, but pursue Him and say, Jesus, please help me because I need your grace. I, I find it difficult at times. There are people around me that make it difficult for me. And maybe you make it difficult for them too, if you ever considered that. But rather say, God, please, when I came in, I was known as that, and I want to become what you want me to be. This is what these people went through in Exodus. In Exodus 1 verse 5, we, we read just some facts about the new nation being formed, as, as well as just what they had um, faced. But let's just look at some of these facts. 1 verse 5 it says, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Huh. How's that? When they arrived in, in Egypt, they were 70. And that's obviously the 11 sons, the 12 sons, and their families. And they're like, yeah, we are, you know, you have a Christmas party. There was like 70 of them. 70 from the one nation. 70 from Canaan. They moved across into Egypt. Amazing. Then in verse 7, we see with this 70, look at what happened to the 70. It says, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Boy, they arrived as 70. They arrived as the sons of Jacob. Now they're known as the people of Israel and they, they are vast in number. <laughs> Amazing. So God's busy forming them. We read in, in, 12, in chapter 12. Let me just jump with you to chapter 12. Listen to what it says when they were leaving. They had just gone through the Red Sea. In chapter 12 and verse 37, what they became. All right? Just listen to this. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, this is now out of Egypt, about 600 thousand men on foot besides women and children why do they always just mention the men in the bible as being counted 
in the New Testament, you also find that. That the men were only mentioned that there were 50 men or they were 500 or whatever. It's because the women were just so busy, they couldn't sit still and let them be counted. Why was that that they were so busy? Because they were busy with the children. The men were just sitting there doing nothing. Uh huh. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? The women had to run around, take care of the children. Men were just like, oh, just the women sort that out. Okay, count me, count me. And they could count 600,000. Because the women were just busy doing what the men should have helped them with. Come on, men. Jeez. Don't just sit there, at least my name is on the list. No, the point is, when they arrived, they were 70. When they left, they were over 2 million. Because 600,000 men, time double that, that's already 1.2. Then you add children, because there were a vast number of children there. They didn't have cell phones and TVs those days. There was plenty of time to do what needs to be done to have children. Anyway, um, so they, were, they reckoned there were over 2 million people that had trekked out of Egypt. Now imagine that picture. No, you can't imagine that picture. I mean, none of us can imagine two million people together. But this is what God had made them become, a nation unto Him. And it says in Psalm 105, listen to who made all of this, because it's so interesting. I'll get there now. But, I mean, it's beautiful to see that in the first 16 verses of Exodus, God's name is not mentioned. You can go read that. But here it says in Psalm 105, who made all of this happen. And what was the result of that? Psalm 105, verse 24 says, it's just recapping the story of the Israelites. And it says in verse 24, uh, And the Lord made His people very fruitful. Who made them increase? Vast numbers? It was the Lord. His hand was upon them. And it says, And made them stronger than their foes. Their foes were who? The Egyptians. So he made them stronger than the foes in the midst of the enemy's land. He made them increase and they grew. And I want to just give you three things this morning that I believe are incredibly crucial for us to understand what made them grow and multiply. Besides the fact that God's hand was upon them, God made this all happen. But there was something that they had to also understand. And this is where we are. Because we find ourselves here on earth in Egypt. <laughs> and shame, I think if you're an Egyptian and, and people preach about Egypt all the time, you're like, come on, guys, it's, it's not our fault. And you're like, don't, don't blame Egypt for everything. But we just metaphorically speaking about Egypt as the place where God takes us from to, remove, to move us into something better, isn't it? And so we bless our brothers and sisters in Egypt and not, we're not you know, upset with them. That's not where everything that is bad is taking place. Because, boy, there's places like Gweru and those places too in the world. But anyway, um, no, no, sorry, Gweru. Why did my name, why did that name come up? Let's talk about Gwanda or something. Because <laughs> just now I'm going to get in trouble. Eh? Um, so point is, it's not about a physical location that we're talking about. But I want to present you just three things. I want you to take notice of them because I really believe it's crucial for us that in spite of what we're going through, God wants to do work in us, taking us from here to there, forming us into this people that belongs to Him. Because if you, all of you, whether you accept Christ and have surrendered your life to Jesus, actually, you are His. He wants us. 
And so he will continue to pursue you. If you're sitting here this morning and you've never said yes to Christ and, and surrendered your life to him, God is after your heart. He gave his son for you because he loves you. And if you have said to him already, wonderful, but we're in this process of becoming more like him. And so he takes us out of to take us into. Three things I want to just quickly mention, and then we're going to go into detail with them. First of all, I want to talk about a promise. That was incredibly crucial for them to be able to understand the promises of God that enabled them to grow and multiply. We want to talk about an um, incredibly important aspect, and that is prayer. A prayer. There was something about a prayer and about doing something with the promises that I believe made them grow. And then lastly, I want to talk about a place. So a promise, a, a, a prayer, and a place are some of the key things I believe that enable them to grow and multiply. So let's go to a promise. And we're going to go a little bit back to talk about that from Genesis chapter 15. If you want to, just turn there with me. Because you've got to check up on this. And make sure that you, that you see it for yourself as well. All right? Genesis 15, we see the promise made to a man called Abraham. And in verse 5, it reads as follows. And he brought him outside and said, this is God taking Abraham outside. And he says, look towards the heaven and number the stars. And believe me, there were no lights out there those days where that could kind of not enable us to see the beauty of the stars. You go into the Metopas, you see the beauty of the stars. Eh? You're sitting in town, there's too much light that just doesn't help us to see the beauty of it completely. But he says, look towards heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. 70, 2.5 million people. A promise made. This promise was made even before the 70. There was not even an offspring. There was not even one son born to him yet. God made a promise. And it reads in chapter 15 and verse 13 as well. It says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, which is Egypt, and will be servants there, which they were. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And we'll still read that. So here's a promise made. That you will grow, your people will grow and multiply and become my people. Where? See, not in a great place. How? Not in a great way. But they will become who? And you and I have been made into a who. Not a who-who kind of spooky, spooky thing. A who, W-H-O, not the World Health Organization either. All right? Let's say everybody, oh, who? I mean, what do you mean who? Who, what? No, the people of God in our context, all right? So that's what you and I have been made into. We've been turned into just Vesey, into a who, into a son of God. That's what he's done for you and me. That's your identity. Your identity is not found in, in actually your heritage. Sometimes we don't have a great background. Sometimes we don't want to get, dig too deep into our backgrounds. Like, mm, let me not find out too much stuff. 
Some of it may be embarrassing. But that's not my identity. Sometimes we want to find and we look for identity in going backward. And it's not wrong to go and look. That's what I'm saying. I'm just saying don't go look and try to find your identity in going into the past and go read about the history of your ancestors. We have not found, we can never find our identity in our past. We find our identity in what Christ has done for us. And it actually is in our past because it took place 2,000 years ago. Amen? So don't be limited by the wrong of your past and what your parents and, and your grandparents and their ancestors have done. Sometimes we are so, so aware of that that it actually limits us from moving into our future. And so here we find the people became a who because of a promise made. And so they, they could believe that promise. They could hold on to that promise and know that no matter what they go through, the promise has been made. The promise is in place because the promise keeper is in place. And you and I need to understand that our promises are not just Empty words that were uttered. They are for real because God is for real. And last year, towards the end, I think it was September, October, we, we shared on the God of promise. And if you have not gone through that with us, please go and dig it up on the website and try to find the notes. And go and listen to it again, that the God of promise is the one that we can believe in. Because this, I believe, is what took them from 70 to 2.5 million people. And it's not just a numerical thing that counts, but it's becoming the people of God that they became. And that is what is available for you and I. It's trusting in Him. It's like that, that trustful um, exercise that we often do when it comes to team building. You know, when people got to stand like that and they just know that somebody behind them is going to catch them. Anybody want to quickly just try that out? Um, and, uh, and you trust that the people or your buddies or your colleagues will catch you. And you go backward and you know, are you going to be there? Like, sure, yeah, they'll be. And you go back and they catch you. And I think that we need to understand that we live in a world where we cannot manage on our own. We've got to trust for our Lord Jesus. When he makes a promise, he's there. He will catch you. Even though you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you will not fear any evil. Why? Because he's with you. Trustful. He's catching us. And so this is what they could stand on that could take them into what God made them to be. It's not just a physical relocation. It is a spiritual re-identification that they went through. They became, they came from being just the sons of Jacob and God developed them into the people of God. So you may be the sons of Mr. Maposa, the daughter of Mrs. Moyo. Or you have clearly your ancestry. You can be the, my case, the son of Mr. Fonavestaisen. And the first Fonavestaisen that came to Africa, I know this for a fact, was in 1654. He came from Dutch Netherlands and um, he settled. His name was Peter Fonavestaisen. Came to the Cape of Good Hope and settled there in 1654. But that's not my identity. Great that he did that and brought me to Africa that way. So I've been in Africa for a long time. 
My skin color does not say that necessarily. But Africa is who I am. But it's not my real identity either. My identity is found in Christ. And I've got to marvel at that. And the promises that he then gives me are made on the basis of who he is, not even the good things that I can do. The second thing that we read in this portion is, or about these guys, how they got to who they became is a prayer. The second thing is a prayer. And we read this about a prayer that Isaac did in Genesis 28 when he considered his son Jacob. And there's another history about that. But in Genesis 28, we read about the blessing that was spoken over or a prayer that was, that was prayed over his son Jacob. And let me read this to you. It says in verse 1 of Genesis 28, it says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. He says, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite woman. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And God Almighty bless you, listen to this, and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring. Abraham was Isaac's father. All right. So he's saying what my father received, I'm passing on to you and to your offspring with you so that you may take possession of the land of the sojourning that God gave to Abraham. So God promised this land, Canaan, to him and to us. And so my son Jacob, this is what I want to pray over you. I want to bless you with what God had promised uh, my father, your grandfather. I want to make that available to you. And so this is so incredibly important that the promise was made, but somebody had to believe it. <laughs> Abraham believed it, and the Bible says it was counted for him, to him for righteousness. But yeah, Isaac comes also, and he believes the promise, and he prays the promise. He applies the promise. He says, this is what God had promised us. I want you to be a partaker, not a pea, of the promises of God as I pray over you. As I bless you. And so God wants to partner with us in what he has intended for us. But he wants us to believe his promises. And so today, there are promises in the word of God. Very clear promises that he gives us. But no, without believing them, praying them, they just promise The fruit of believing the promise and praying the prayer and blessing his son became a reality for the sons of Jacob. They encountered the reality of this. The application was experienced for them. When Father Isaac believed it and prayed it over Jacob, and when Jacob went into Egypt with his sons, they started living in the beauty of that, that promise. So today for you and me, we are also recipients and beneficiaries of God's promises. But we've got to believe them and pray them. So the Israelites or the, 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 the people of Israel became what they were destined by God to become because of God's promise to Abraham and the people believing it and praying this into reality. There's a beautiful thing that Charles Spurgeon, a well-known author of 
some years gone by. He touches on how to pray God's promises. He says the following. Read this with me, would you? It says, the best praying man is the man who is most believingly familiar with the promises of God. All right? I mean, that's a whole sermon by itself. It says, after all, prayer is nothing but taking God's promises to him, to God, and saying to God, do as you have said. Prayer is a promise utilized. A prayer which is not based on a promise has no true foundation. Sometimes we pray, I think, soulish prayers. Because it's just oh, empty stuff that we're hoping, God, won't you just bless them, this and, and that. And, but we don't understand the promises of God. And we're hoping for stuff to happen instead of believing in the promises that we have seen from Scripture and believing that and praying that into effect. They practically applied what they believed. And so the question is, do we do this? Do we believe His promises? Do we then pray these promises over our lives, over our families, over our businesses? Because you can we need to let the prayer become utilized. Do we send our children out like Isaac did to Jacob and say, hey, this is what I want to pray over you. Because I know that God had promised to us, I want to pray this over you. And with all due respect to everything that you can do and try to do for your children, please don't, please don't get in, not get involved in some, please, something so simple as this. The best thing that you can do for your children is to pray for them, but also to be the prayer for them. When you pray God's love upon them, don't you love them with the love of God? Whenever you want to pray for them, be that for them too. But get involved in blessing your children and praying these things for them. And then the final thing that enabled them, I believe just from what I've seen, to become the people of God was this, a place, which is the location. Because <laughs> in a sense, we would have loved the story to end there. Hey, at verse 7, they say the people multiplied, they grew, it was great, lots of things were happening. God filled the land, and, um, but then there was something else that kind of arose in the midst. It seemed like it was really kosher, everything was happening nicely, people grew, but what we don't see further, unless we read further on, is the conditions that they found themselves in. And this was also why I believe they grew. Because they didn't find themselves in ideal situations. I don't know how many of you have ever lived in non-ideal situations. Because most of us find ourselves constantly in perfect situations, don't we? I don't know about you guys, but I have sort of some memory of the not ideal, non-ideal places that I have lived in my life. Zimbabwe is certainly not one of them. No. So obviously we live in this world that's full of sin and stuff. And, and it's not just because of economies of the world that we find ourselves in a non-ideal situation. But here we find the, the, the Israelites particularly, that the situation they find, they find themselves in is certainly not one that we would have chosen for. An ideal place for growth. Let's take them to Egypt. Yeah, yeah. That's a great place. Because when they get there, then they will experience the following. <laughs> and they will experience what the Bible speaks about here in uh, verses 8 to 11. Let's just go there for a while quickly, would you? It says, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So, oh, goodness. 
Joseph had a close relationship with this previous king. Now he's gone. Joseph is gone. Oops. There's no contract made that, you know, we will always be the favored ones. No, nothing like that. And he said to his people, the new king said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Remember what Psalm 105 said? They became stronger than their foes because of God's hand upon them. All right? Here it is. The Egyptians are agreeing that they're too mighty for us. He says in verse 10, then, Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And war break to, if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens, so that they will build for Pharaoh's stores, cities, Pithom, and Ramses. Boy, so they're like, no, no, we can't handle this. Let's make it difficult for them. In the midst of this difficulty, sandwiched between verses 8 to 11 and 13 to 14 is verse 12. In the midst of what these guys are trying to do to them in this location, look at what happens in verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. So in spite of in spite of the physical location that they found themselves in, and in spite of the people's attitude towards them, and in spite of the affliction, the oppression, the shrewdness that they dealt with, or that they tried to inflict on them, in spite of God's hand. Because God has a plan for them. He wants them to develop into His people. To take His people into the promised land. Just as you and I, the moment we become born again, He has a plan for us to grow us into His Son's image. There's a plan for you and I. But it happens at a place. <laughs> That's not always ideal. I don't know what an ideal place in the world would look like in any case. I don't know if you've ever gone to research the ideal location. Because if you find it, don't go there. If you do, you're going to mess it up. Because people mess up ideal places. I'm telling you. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. Look, ideal places, let's all go there. No, it's not so nice anymore. Now we want to go to the next ideal place that, you know, is ideal according to. We move there. Oh, no. Why did they also come? <laughs> because the place is always inhabited with people. And people make it difficult. I don't know about you, but if you go into nature and there are no people around you, and it's just beautiful, serene, and it's just trees and, and just birds and just lovely sunset and sunrise. Beautiful, isn't it? Until somebody arrives. Uh-huh. It's like and they mess it up. Why did they have to? I mean you go out into the park, for instance, you find this beautiful bright area. You're like, I'm gonna do my briar today. It's like just us and my family, and they listen to everything I tell them to do, and they sit around, and we have a wonderful time here on top of the Matotas, and it's just beautiful, and then, oh no, I see some cars coming. I hope they're not going to come this way. Oh, they are actually coming this way. Oh, I think I know them. Oh, oh no. Like, oh, they're parking close to us. Oh, they've got music in their car. Oh, the ideal place is gone because of people. Uh-huh. That's why you guys moved here from Quarian. Now I understand. Yo, thank you, Jesus. Clear to me that you moved to the ideal place. But anyway, the point is this, that, that we look for this, this utopia, this paradise in a place, and then we find that actually the place is not always so easy. 
Because God uses the place to work in us, to form us, to shape us into what he wants us to become. The Israelites went through 400 years of this. You think 42 has been bad, huh? Let me not prophesy. All right. <laughs> the point is this, ladies and gentlemen. Don't fight the place. Embrace the place. And let God do what he wants to do in your heart. Because he's in the process of forming us to what he wants us to be. I think, praise the Lord for those of us that can work around and move around and study around. And bless you, Emma, for studying in the UK and having the opportunity to do stuff like that. I'm not against that. But let's not run away from what God wants to do in our lives. Because if you run away from this place, God still wants to do it over there. You ain't going to move away from God. God is incredible. You can use any place, my friend, to develop us into what He wants us to be. And so my encouragement to you this morning is, please, in the midst of the place that you're in, embrace it. And let God do what He wants to do. Because listen to what this, it carries on. So they ruthlessly, in verse 13, <laughs> they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. And, and all their work, they, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. In the midst, in spite of everything, in spite of what we find around us, we hold on to His promises. We pray the prayer, we apply what we believe He is able to do. And we say, God, in the midst of what we are going through, this place, this place ain't going to kill me. Don't speak like that. All right? Because often we do that, and this place will one day kill me. No. Your destiny is not found in a place, my friend. Your destiny is found in Christ Jesus. You believe in no matter what, what you go through. He will increase you. He will multiply you. He will grow you. He will enable you to fill the land. Even though there are these things around there. Come on. Look at what they went through. 400 years of it. And God turned them from the sons of Jacob into the people of God. So that one day the Son of God will come through and bring salvation to you and me. Beautiful story. Beautiful story. So don't allow the pharaohs around you and the place where God has put you to keep you enslaved. There are pharaohs in our world. All right? But you, by virtue of your choice, will allow them to be your slave master or not. Let's recognize those, those pharaohs. Let's pray for the pharaohs. The Bible says we ought to do. But do not become slaves of them. Recognize that you're a son and daughter of God and function and operate as a son and a daughter. We sang that song earlier on, Battle Belongs to the Lord. When we, the one line says, when I see the battle, you see my victory. When I see the pharaohs, when I see this enslavement, when I see the harshness, when I see the bitterness how people treat me, when I see that, what you see, you see my victory. What do you see when you currently find yourself in this place called Bulawayo? Do you see what God sees? Are you living under the cloud of what you see and what others are saying? Or are you under the, the 
beautiful promises of God. You're believing them. You're praying them for yourself and for your family and for your children and for your neighbors. And you see that no matter what place you are in, in spite of it, God makes you increase, multiply, fill the land, bring His glory to those around us. Come on. In spite of, ladies and gentlemen, in spite of. I want to close this morning, and I, I really feel that I, I'd love for us to pray for people that are, that are stuck. I want you to, to not be in a rush now. And not hasten to a cup of coffee, but to just, and it's great to have that and to chat. But I really believe God wants to touch hearts this morning. That some of us have let go of God's promises, of the truth of who God is, God is, what He's capable of doing. And you're sitting in a place where you're in anguish, and you're anxious, you're worried, and you're living in fear. Because of the place that you're in. And it's not just a physical place. I'm talking about financial position that you're in. Emotional place that you're in. Um, just dealing with all sorts of things currently in your life. And you're wondering, my goodness, can I grow? Can I multiply? Can I increase in the midst of what I'm going through? God says, I actually can do anything in any place. In any location that you may find yourself in, in any situation that you may find yourself in, God says that I can do the impossible. 70 to 2.5 million. That's what God can do. And forgive me about the numbers. Well, it's not about the numbers. It's about the work of God inside of us. And so you may find yourself saying, I only have 70. Whatever that 70 may be this morning. It's just, I don't have much, God. I actually have lost. I've lost hope. I've lost the dreams that I used to dream. I've lost friends. I've lost. We're going to drive out now to the Matopas and go celebrate the life of a man called Chris Ferguson that passed away in January of this year. He lived out in the Matopas, and today is a moment where we're going to just remember him and celebrate his life. He had a time here on earth to live. And he did so well. He held on to the promise and there's so much I can talk about him. But I want to just use that as a story to indicate to us that between there and over here, there's this work of God that he wants to do in our lives. He wants to do it in your life, no matter what place, what physical location, what spiritual place you may find yourself in what emotional state you are in today, what financial situation you are in. He's busy doing a work in you. And you know what? Not only does He want to work in you, but He wants to work through you. And that's why I believe God set up the nation of Israel because they eventually brought, what God started there was 70, brought the gospel to you and me. Do you know that? That's what eventually caused the gospel to come to Africa. It started there when God said, I will bless my people so that they will be a blessing to others. So embrace your place this morning. And do not let Pharaoh keep you in bondage of fear 
of anxiety, of despair, of hopelessness and depression. But let God come and set you free. Let's close our eyes. Jesus, we thank you so much for oh, the beauty of your word. This is Exodus, Lord. And we are, we're finding so much strength and hope in just, just a few verses from Exodus. There's so much more to come. But we want to, Lord God, in, embrace this moment and trust you, Father, to stir the hearts of your people towards coming out of stuff that's keeping them bound and being released from that and being brought into a spacious place in the Spirit where we free, Lord God, from the stuff that, as the writer in Hebrews says, so easily ensnares us. So this morning, I thank you, Lord God, that you're speaking into the hearts of people to say, come back and and consider God's promises. Consider Him. Because He is the God of promises. He doesn't just have promises. He, he is the God who promises and keeps them. He's the promise maker and He's the promise keeper. I pray, Father, for a restoration of the promises of God to rise up within our heart so that, Father, we will become aware of them. And as Charles Spurgeon said, that God, that we will put them into practice by praying our prayers from that point of reference. Jesus, I trust you for that. I pray, Holy Spirit, for a renewal to take place of our minds, of considering the promises of God. Considering you. And then, Lord God, believing that. Praying that. Putting that, Lord Jesus, into effect in our lives. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for just a refreshing of our minds. I want to ask you this morning, if you're seated, and just thinking that, God, my mind is just full of stuff, and I've, I've actually, I have no promise that I can think of that you're promising me, that you're promising, that you're promising your word. I'm, I'm actually blank. You just cry out and say, God, please help me to find them in the Scripture. And so don't, don't despair and feel guilty and feel ashamed. Just say, Jesus, there I am, please. I, I want to go find those, princes, those promises and go and dig it up. There are certain wells that need to be reopened for us. And those wells are full of promises of God. And so, my friend, this morning, if you're saying, I need to go dig them up, why don't you just raise your hand and say, God, I have let go of your promises. I have filled my mind with other stuff and the news and the, and the this and the that. And the, I'm not aware of your promises this morning. Just raise your hand. Just say, God, this is me. That's me. I'm not, this is not, this is a no shame zone, by the way, when we get together like this. So don't feel shame upon you. Just say, God, I have forgotten. I have let go. I have almost just put them away to the side. Just say, God, I, I'm raising my hand to say, I'm willing and I want to commit myself to go dig it up, to go find them again, to read them and to be nourished by your word. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for people committing themselves to that. And Lord, I pray that as your people, we will read and we will pray your promises into our lives. And why don't you, as a father, as a mother, 
Why don't you go and find those promises and pray them over your children? Even if they're not with you at the moment, maybe somewhere else or whatever. Pray them as children of your parents. But pray for each other the promises. And then finally, let's embrace the place. So Jesus, I'm alive and I live in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe, Africa. I'm thankful to be here. And this may be a stretch for some of you. I really mean it. You, you, many of us have thought, well, this, I'm just here because I can't be anywhere else. But you've not actually made peace with it. And you're not celebrating the fact that you are someone who lives his or her life at this stage in the city of Bulawayo, wherever else it may be from. In your heart, you say, Jesus, I'm thankful. Please forgive me for complaining and, and fighting you about this place. I embrace the place in my heart. And through that, I want to ask you to do in me what you want to do in me from this place that I'm in. God, I trust you for that. Thank you, Jesus.